Dear Father, I'm glad I get to be with my family today. People I love, people that I know love you. I'm grateful today that we get to gather on a beautiful summer day to start our day right, to focus our minds on you, to make sure our hearts are in the right place. Lord God, it's going to be a beautiful summer. We're going to have a lot of experiences along the way that are going to be great, but help us not to take a vacation from you. Help us not to miss these moments to gather together, to be in your presence, to be with other people who love you, and to keep growing. Growth never takes a vacation. And we look forward to the way that you're going to grow us this summer together. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have brought your smiles today. You're going to have to use them. We're diving back into our series on joy this morning. And so I'd like you to turn around and share some joy with some people around you. Dear God, we thank you for this day, Father. And we thank you for bringing us here. Jesus, make us more like you, Father. Make us see things like you see them from your perspective. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is great to see you this morning. I'm Dennis, and I was just outside. And it seems like God finally figured out where the heat switch is. We might actually, I don't know, get up to 80 today or something. Wouldn't that be wonderful? My family and I were having some fun this past few days this week in Wisconsin. I go up there to help my my, my daughter serve ice cream to a crew of kids. Non-stop scooping. I've got a great case of my hand isn't working today. And we were in 55 to 60 degree constant rainy weather. Blah. But it was fun to scoop ice cream. Good time. So uh, if it's your first time here today, we are so glad you came. On the inside of that folder that you were handed as you came in is a card. If you all would go ahead and take that card out, put your name on it. Uh, one of the things I get a kick out of, some of you like to put fictitious uh, occupations. So if you're in the mood this morning to make up an occupation, Michael Scott has attended our church, uh, Jack Bauer. You'd be amazed at the people that have attended along the way. If you want to make up a fictitious occupation today, as long as you put your real name, you go crazy, have a lot of fun. Uh, if it's your first time, put as much information on the card as you want to. And on your way out, you'll notice a table. We have a gift for you. It's a small book by Andy Stanley called How Good is Good Enough that gives you an idea of how to have a relationship with God. And that's why we're here and what we're all about. Today we're uh, continuing our summer series. We're calling it Dive 2011. This year we're diving into the book of Philippians and especially into the concept of, of pure joy. God has given every follower of Christ a reason to smile. And by that, I'm not just referring to the superficial expression on your face, but a sincere satisfied disposition of the soul, something going on on the inside. We, of all people on earth, have great reason to be joy-filled, and it should show on our faces. Our series theme, do you have the thing in there? Because I'm clicking and nothing's happening. How you doing, Eric? Eric's wandering. Eric's getting back to the computer. Eric's frantic. Our, ser- our series is that pure joy finds a way to smile despite the most severe circumstances. 
No matter what's going on in your life, you should be able to have that sincere disposition of the soul that says, I am joyful. And throughout the summer, we're looking at this relationship between joy and some of the most severe circumstances in life. Like last week, we looked at loneliness. We'll be looking at suffering. We'll be looking at poverty and how those things come together. Now, to start out today, uh, I'd like to go ahead and read the passage we're going to be looking at today. We're going we're to unpack that in just a few moments. We're looking at two short paragraphs in the first chapter of the book of Philippians. Here's what Paul wrote in his letter to that church. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped me to spread the good news for everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It is true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they, as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish, selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray with, for me and the Spirit of Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Let's talk to God right now. Father, we're grateful for your word. And we know that it's not just a, a book of old stories, great ideas, or, or moral advice. It's the very breathed word of God. And today, as we look at it, I pray that we'll see it that way. I pray that we'll understand that, that these words are to be lived, not just studied. That, that we will grow as people who take your word absolutely seriously and live it out. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are some things that, that go together naturally. I mean, it, it's just a given. For For example, you know, Peanut butter and jelly. That, that's a combo that just, God invented that. Boom, put it between bread. It's meant to be. Exactly, exactly. You're not kidding. You're not kidding. I love peanut butter and jelly. How about uh, sand in a beach? You know, yeah, exactly. Why are we not there today, right? I could preach on that beach, man. Woo. Sand in a beach. They go together. Justin Bieber in the hair. They go together. I mean, no hair, no beaver, right? Doesn't have a voice. He's got to have something. Ooh. How critical of you, Dennis. You mean-spirited little dude. Equally, some things are not a good match. Yeah. Keep the hair, buddy. It's just not looking real pretty when you go bald, Justin. Not at all. How about this one? Sand is great on the beach, but... You don't want to get it in your eye. Doesn't work very well, does it? And peanut butter. Here's my favorite. I love Jif. Jif is just the absolute best peanut butter in all the world. But somehow, a Jif and tuna sandwich. What's that doing to you right now? I heard it. Yeah. It's just, wow, that combination. Does anybody do this? 
Good, because I would have had to have evicted you. Um, these things do not belong together. How about suffering? Deep human pain. What is its natural counterpart? What, what does it go with? I, I googled the word suffering, and the images, honestly, they were sad and they were unbearable. This is, this is one that came up. This is a Japanese woman cradling the lifeless body of a little girl. Both are caked with mud. The girl died in the tsunami last March in Japan. And the grief on the woman's face is just overwhelming. It's so sad. I mean, this seems like a no-brainer. Suffering goes best with tears, right? If we're suffering, we cry. If we're suffering, we should be sad. That's the right combination, right? Well, guess what? Not from a biblical perspective. Uh, The Bible has something very different to say. It says suffering gives us a reason to celebrate. And some of you right now, when you hear that, you're having the same reaction as when I said peanut butter and tuna. You're going, no way. Those two things do not belong together. But the Bible says they do. So today we're talking about pure joy and suffering and the relationship between the two. They just don't seem to go together, but they really, really do. Now, as we get started, I just want to offer two opening clarifications. If you have a folder this morning, there's a, there's a space in there for notes. If you like to scribble, if that keeps you attentive, and you see their opening clarifications. I have two for you. First, suffering is relative. Now, I'm not saying you suffer because of your relatives, but, but suffering is a relative thing. Okay, maybe you do suffer anyway. One person's suffering is another person's Sunday school picnic. Uh, we, we don't all have the same intensity when it comes to certain areas that we would call suffering. And when an American male is hungry, you know what he says? I'm starving to death. I'm starving to death. Really? I mean, wow, starving to death? No, if you were to truly examine your body, you'd find you might possibly be hungry and that a glass of water could solve it. You're not starving to death, but we say it, don't we? Well, the same is true of the American use of the word suffering, especially when it comes to our faith experience. When we say we are suffering, we have to ask ourselves, are we really? Have we ever really suffered because of the faith that we have in Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul suffered persecution and beatings and imprisonment, which we cannot relate to in our American experience. That's not the kind of suffering we've had. On the other hand, uh, he was abandoned. He experienced betrayal, relational disappointment, which he also calls suffering. And we can relate to that. It's relative. Francis Chan is a gifted Bible teacher. Last year he announced he was leaving his church in Los Angeles. He he had a restlessness in his heart over the state of the American church. So he did some traveling. He went to India and China and other places where Christianity is different, maybe a little bit more like the early church because of the persecution they bear. And what he found was that probably half the world's Christians live in situation where situation where their faith is a life and death experience. It's not just a, 
which church has the best program, that's where I'm going to go. They literally are making a life and death decision when they choose to express their faith. We have about 4% of the world's Christians here in the U.S., and we think we have it all figured out. But when Chan told people in India and China about American Christianity, they could not grasp it. He told them that we have buildings called churches, and people come once a week or, or maybe a couple times a month. They gather, they sing, they pray, they listen to the Word, and then they leave. And he said, to be honest, for a lot of people, uh, they live just like their neighbors. There's no real difference. And he said the reaction was they laughed. They actually laughed at him. They thought he was telling a joke. They, they just couldn't believe it. You see, when they gather together, mostly without buildings, and then they go home, they could be killed for what they believe. They just can't understand how a person could have an encounter with Jesus and not have a life that is completely changed. Suffering is relative. For Christians around the world, it means persecution and torture. For us, uh, it means that we have to uh, pack and unpack the porta church every week, put it in the trailers, oh, the burdens we bear for Jesus. This morning at 9.15, I, I opened my folder and noticed, oh, no, no sermon notes. And I had to drive back home and drive back. Yeah, some of you saw me arriving at 9.35. That's what was going on. Suffering for Jesus. Couldn't just walk to my office and get my notes. No, I had to drive all that way. Oh, the burdens, the burdens that I have to bear. I'm not saying we feel no pain. I'm just saying it's relative. It could be worse. It could be a lot worse. Suffering is relative. Here's another opening clarification. Biblical suffering is often related to joy. So many times when you see a reference to biblical suffering, it is used in combination with the word joy. I read a, most of a great book this past week. It's by a Bible teacher from Sri Lanka named Ajith Fernando. He ministers in a place where suffering for one's faith is common. The book is entitled, The Call to Joy and Pain, Embracing Suffering in Your Ministry. I'm telling you, that's going to be American bestseller right there. In the introduction, he speaks of being invited to speak at a conference. He begins the book by saying, One of the early decisions I made during my preparation for the Bethlehem conference was to follow the biblical practice of not talking about pain without also talking about the blessing of it. Joy is commonly mentioned as a blessing of suffering in the New Testament. The Bible presents joy and pain together. So I made the decision to study both joy and pain. He goes on to say that he was able to locate 18 different places in the New Testament where suffering and joy are found together. Joy and suffering are necessary aspects of Christianity. They can and must exist together. And that is just foreign to our thinking. That is not the way we think at all. Suffering and joy? Really? I mean, we think that if God really loves us, we'll never suffer again. Right? I mean, if God really cared, we'd never experience another ounce of pain. We think that if we're doing God's work, God's way, it'll always lead to smiles and growth. But it'll never lead to suffering. We have a very American view of suffering. Uh, but not a very biblical one. Joy and suffering go hand in hand. And that's not just a sadistic thing. It's not a love of pain for the sake of it 
or embracing pain as some way of paying for one's sins personally. It's deeper. It's much deeper. It is a sincere, satisfied disposition of the soul. It is a perspective that grasps a bigger picture. Ajith's book had had so many great quotes and stories of people who have suffered and died for their faith. These people have perspective that was gained through brutal experiences that demonstrates the kind of big picture thinking about suffering that God wants us to have. He speaks of a Chinese evangelist who spent many years in prison because of his faith. He said, if you accept suffering for your faith as a privilege, it becomes your friend and brings you closer to God. Can you imagine saying that? There's a quote he had by a Romanian pastor who suffered under communist rule. It's been with me all week. I can't let go of it. He said, Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. Suffering is relative. And it's always, it's always related to joy. So let's go ahead and dive into this text. We want to just rip in and see what is Paul written here. We already read it, so I'm not going to reread every part. As I read it and reread it and studied it, I started to see why Paul can say that his suffering is a reason for overcoming joy, for that kind of a joy. You see, what I, what I saw here is Paul didn't make suffering personal. Paul didn't make suffering personal. And Paul didn't take suffering personally. Very different from us. Paul didn't make suffering personal, and he didn't take suffering personally. Verse 12, you see it there on the screen or in your Bible. As as I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. What's the everything? He's in prison. He's in prison. He's saying everything that's happened here, not just the good moments, everything has led to the spread of the gospel. Paul doesn't just feel his pain. That's what we normally do when we suffer. We feel our pain and we lick our wounds. Paul sees a bigger picture. He grasps a clearer purpose for his present circumstances for the suffering that he's going through. Verse 13 says, For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. I mean, it's like he's saying, If God had not let me go to prison, I would have missed out on some great opportunities to share the gospel. Can you imagine that kind of mentality? God let me suffer so that I could reach somebody that I would not have otherwise. He doesn't make his suffering personal. He sees it as purposeful. In the early 90s, uh, Kim's dad was diagnosed with liver cancer. He was, he was young. He's the central figure of our family. He's, he's our rock. And I've got to admit to you that, that our world was shaken. It was shaken when we got that news and we were told that he might have just months to live. That diagnosis took him and his wife to places they would not normally have gone. Not too many of us that are healthy just show up at at hospitals and doctors and tests just for the fun of it. Well, one day while he was in for a test, Kim's mom was able to have a spiritual conversation with a man. And they started to talk, and that spiritual conversation led to that man's conversion. 
And it was just a few weeks later that that man's cancer took him home to heaven. Kim's dad did not have liver cancer. He is well, alive, and healthy today. And both Kim's parents will admit to you that that misdiagnosis, while it caused our our family some pain in the moment, caused them to be in a place they would never have been to have a conversation with a person they would never have met so that they could bring that person safely home to God. Do we see our suffering that way? No. We see it as inconvenience, as a torture. We don't see it. We see it as an obstacle. Paul says, opportunity. Here's a chance. <laughs> Look, I'm in prison. I, I couldn't have got here if I wanted to be. This is great. And I'm chained here next to the. These guys have to listen to the gospel. They have no choice. Isn't this wonderful? I mean, the perspective is amazing. We see suffering as torment. We make it personal. Paul sees it as purposeful. It's an open door. He wouldn't have had access to the palace guard any other way. Are you catching this? I mean, do you see the flip? Do you see how he's seeing this as a reason for great joy? Verse 14, and because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Here, once again, he doesn't make his suffering personal. He sees it as powerful. What he is going through is empowering other people to be bold. I think we really miss this too often. What I'm going through often is just about me. It's about my pain. But what we don't realize is that other people are watching the way we handle the pain. Other people are watching the way we handle the suffering. We say Jesus is a part of our life. That should have an impact on everything, right? Not just the parties and the good times, but the pain as well. When we suffer, we want to have a pity party. Paul says, it isn't about me, it's about the gospel, It's about empowering others. We only see the obstacles where Paul saw the great opportunities. I want you to catch the next part, the next next paragraph there, uh, starting with verse 15. Paul talks about some people who are ministering out of two separate sets of motives. Uh, He said, some preach Christ out of love for me. That's kind of a strange statement. I mean, I preach Christ out of love for Christ, not out of love for Roger Swank, though I think he's a great guy. Some people preach Christ out of love for me, Paul says. I think in part what's going on here, he's saying, there are people who recognize right now I'm in prison, and because I'm in prison, what I would be doing out in public, I'm not able to do, and so they're picking up the, they're picking up the slack. They're saying, I'll jump on board. I'll help out here. I'll do what I can. They're preaching Christ out of love for him. It says others are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. They, they, may have, they may have been implying somehow that Paul's imprisonment was proof of God's judgment. That Paul had done something wrong. That Paul wasn't preaching the gospel clearly or correctly or, you know, he wasn't doing something that, that everybody was supposed to do. And so God was punishing him. And in turn, they were going to minister the right way. They, they were going to get it done properly. 
and make up for what Paul was doing wrong. I know, I just can't imagine thinking Paul was handling it wrong, but some people did. Now, for those of you who swing a hammer for a living or crunch numbers or run a small business, you may be thinking, huh, I just don't get this. I mean, jealousy among ministries and ministers? Really? Are you kidding me? Oh, my word. I have sad news for you. This is part of the way it works. It's part of the game. It's sad, but it's true. I'm giving a modern example. Churches like ours. Years ago, we, you know, what, what we did, we, we looked at the way we were doing things and we said, we're, we're trying to make disciples, but we're missing one big piece of this. We're not bringing many new ones into the kingdom of God. We're not seeing many people come to be part of the kingdom of God, to become believers. And so we got really intentional about reaching people for Christ. That was really important. And, and there are people out there that look at what we're doing and they say, ah, that's just one, that's one of those secret churches. Yeah. They're not very deep. They, they just, they just preach sermonettes and make Christianettes. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's kind of shallow and kind of watered down. They say it with the kind of disdain that, they, you know, it's like we're prostituting the gospel or we're just, you know, we're just not doing it right. So what do they do? Well, they plant churches in our backyards that are, that are going to get it right. They're going to get it right. They're, they're going to go expositionally, verse by verse through Leviticus. And make sure you don't miss one verse of the Bible. They're going to get it right. They're going to make up for where we've messed up and where we've done it all wrong. They're going to go deep, deep, really, really, really deep. This stuff happens. I'm not making it up. And we can have one of two responses. One is to get grumpy and belittle them. Say things like, so... When's the last time your church baptized 60 people over the course of two years? Huh? Huh? <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, oh, that works. Oh, win one for Jesus right there. No, um, we can react like Paul. Not get grumpy, but be joyful. We can actually be joyful. Paul doesn't take the bait. He doesn't take the insult personally. Paul doesn't make suffering personal, and he doesn't take it personally. Verse 18, he says, but that doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message of Christ is being taught either way. So I rejoice, and I'll continue to rejoice. We can say, hey, the body of Christ needs all kinds of churches, not just our kind of church. And we celebrate for them instead of picking up a pile of stones and starting to throw and being petty and foolish. Paul chose joy in the face of suffering and personal affront. He said, I'm choosing to smile. Paul didn't make suffering personal and he didn't take suffering personally. Remember that verse from last week. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know what that means? When the joy goes, the strength goes. God wants us to be strong. And I don't know about you, but what I find when I'm being bitter, my energy level is right down here. It goes to nothing because all of my energy is being expended in being angry and frustrated and bitter. God says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So be joyful in the face of suffering. Now, I want to just give you some reasons from the Bible, things that lead to joy. How can we say that the joy and pain go hand in hand, that they both work together? Well, first we see the Bible says joy and pain, we can have reason to rejoice because pain and suffering is the path to deep growth. We grow through suffering. 
James said it. You've seen it before. I've shown it to you before. Rejoice when troubles come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Don't stop the growth. Let it grow. Go with the pain. Go with the suffering. Be joyful through it. I found this this uh, illustration of Romans 5, 3 to 4, that tells us suffering leads to endurance and endurance to character and character to hope. You have reason to be joyful because you know that when you're suffering, you have the opportunity. It's not automatic. You have the opportunity to grow. How about this? Jesus says, when you're suffering, you're in good company. He said, when people mock you and revile you and persecute you, rejoice. He says, first of all, because great is your reward in heaven. That's one reason. But he says, they did this to the prophets as well. Jesus said, they mocked the prophets. They mocked me. What makes you think you're so special that it won't happen to you? You're in good company. In fact, it's an affirmation. Sometimes we see suffering as we must be doing something wrong. Maybe suffering is we might be finally doing something right. Keep looking at this. 2 Corinthians 4, great passage on suffering and how it works in our lives. He says, when I'm suffering, Paul says, I get to show off Christ. Others get to see who Jesus is. We're hunted down but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through sufferings, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death. Because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be evident in our dying bodies. Jesus is seen best in you when you suffer the right way. When you're going through pain the right way. How about this one? Because it's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. We're going to see this later in the first chapter of Philippians. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for Him. Acts 5 When the apostles have been beaten and sent on their way and told, don't speak of Christ anymore. Here's what they say. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And over and over as you read the accounts of prophets and people who suffered for God, they say, I'm so grateful I could just suffer for the name of Jesus. How about this one? Suffering is a short shelf life. Psalm 35 says, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And then again, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, our present troubles are small. They won't last very long. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Suffering is seasonal. Now, truth is, the seasonal may be your entire physical life. Suffering is seasonal. There is a day your eyes will close and the tears will stop. There is a day that you will be in the presence of Jesus and the sadness will be gone. 70, 80, 90 years, maybe you get to 110, lucky you. In comparison to eternity, it's a grain of sand. It's next to nothing. It's next to nothing. I grasp all of this logically. I agree with it and I know it's true. It's still difficult for me to grasp it experientially, especially the persecution part. We live in America, land of the free and home of the brave. We live in a nation founded on religious freedom. I don't know. I can't say that I've ever really suffered persecution for my faith. 
I've been through some nasty stuff as a pastor, I'll admit that. I've been through emotionally brutal seasons. I've had people question my motives, mischaracterize my actions. I've had people tell some incredible lies about me. been betrayed and abandoned by people who are close. It's been really hard sometimes. Yet I really hesitate to use the word suffering for the experience that I've gone through. I'm not sure it'll always be that way. I'm really not. I think there is a cultural tide that is shifting in our times. Actions that were once deemed reprehensible and unthinkable are now declared legal and mainstream. A secular mindset is now firmly entrenched in the American soul. Tolerance for biblical perspectives and convictions is diminishing. It may be in our own lifetime that we will experience persecution and we'll know what this passage means, not only logically, but experientially. If we stand up for the truth, if we proclaim it with boldness, a season of pain may follow. Which caused me to reread that line again by that Romanian pastor. Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. If our season ever comes, I hope that will be true of us. I hope that we won't shatter. I hope that we won't scatter. I pray that like the apostles, we'll find ourselves rejoicing because we were deemed worthy of the name of Jesus to suffer for him. Let's talk to him right now. I am grateful, God, that you put us in a place that um, we've been able to talk about Jesus with freedom. And I'm not one who says, bring on the suffering. Oh, we'll be so much better for it. I just, you do what you want to do. You're God. I'm not going to give you advice. But God, today I pray that we would take on a different perspective on the thing we're going through in life today that we call suffering. Pray that we'll see the opportunity in it instead of the obstacle of it. Pray that we'd quit praying for it to go away and start praying that you'd show us what in the world you're trying to teach us through it. How we're supposed to be better for it. God, give us a biblical perspective on this. Help us to have overcoming joy. Uh, Not just be people that shrink. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All week long as I've been thinking through this, there's been a a line that's been going through my head over and over and over. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say it is well with my soul. Written by a man who went through tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Lost a child, lost everything he owned in the Chicago fire, lost four daughters, and when a ship was lost at sea. He went through all of that and was able to say, when peace like a river Tends my way when sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And so this morning, we're going to be receiving communion. A bread, cup are coming your way. The two, by the way, are in two cups that are put inside of each other. Um, you can take out each. As you do, I want you to reflect on that statement by that man and ask yourself the question, can I say today, in the suffering I face, in the pain I'm feeling, can I honestly say my soul is experiencing the deep satisfaction, the joy, 
that God desires? Examine your heart. Ask yourself the question. If it's not, it may be time to say, I'm sorry, God. I'm taking the wrong perspective on this gift of suffering that you've placed in my life. Father, here at the cross, Lord, we're reminded of what you've done for our lives and what it means for our future. God, we are reminded of your love and your grace. And Lord, we are reminded that you saved us. God, and with you, all things are possible. And Jesus, you love us beyond what we can imagine, Lord. Lord, you have broken every chain that has bound us. And you've given us a future that is filled with promise, Lord, for you. And we thank you for that. And we praise you for that. We tend to tell you some of the news that's going on around church. We don't read you your entire folder every week. We count on you to take the time to read about what's going on. We do want to remind you that uh, high school and junior high trips are coming up really soon. There's a reminder in there about that. Check out the church website. Uh, All the forms are there for you to go ahead and get your kids registered for those trips. First announcement this morning. and probably as a few of you at least a little frustrated, you don't like being told you're going to be told something in 45 minutes, which I guess was incorrect. It's really closer to 55 minutes, so I'm sorry. We did a sermon on lying recently, didn't we? I guess. Anyway, um, we have some really, really great news to share with you. We have been, uh, wow, this goes all the way back to last summer. While, while Kim and I were gone, Justin was wandering around town on an assignment. And that mission was, can we find... Can we just find a, a ministry space, something to be able to do some, some of the things that, that we want to do outside of Sunday morning? This is working well for Sunday morning, but there are other things that we want to be able to do as a church, and, and we're kind of constricted to living rooms or, or renting from the school, and, and that's got restrictions because they're not always available. It's not a 24-7 space. So we've been searching for a 24-7 space to do other stuff. And uh, this week... Elise is officially being signed, and we've got a space, and it's a cool space. You're going to love it. <clears throat> Let me tell you some things about it. Well, I mean, like I said, been going on for better than nine months now. I'm, we finally, we've given birth to a space. Isn't that great? Here we are. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a great space for high school, junior high, mom connection, journey groups, classes that we wanted to offer that we couldn't offer, uh, new ministry opportunities, talking about maybe doing some working out in that big old space, stuff like that. Uh, 8,000 square feet. Lots of room to spread your arms for all kinds of stuff. We'll be using it as kind of a multi-purpose gym site and all that. It's got a separate, uh, what do they call that front room? What's the name of that thing? Showroom kind of thing. And uh, we're going to set that up kind of as a lobby, kind of comfortable so that you can come in, hang out, do things in there. Now, you're wondering where the location is. It's amazing when you tell Shanna hunters this. They're like, oh, I know where. I never knew. It's near Jump Up. Do you know where Jump Up is? Oh, yeah, I know where that is. See, it happens every time. It's like two units down from Jump Up. And we're going to have an open house in August so you can come and check it out. In the meantime, we've got a little bit of work to do in there. Um, 
And let's see. Well, the other things we're going to be doing, parking our trailers there, consolidating some storage there. If you want to be involved in helping doing some of the moving that we're going to be doing, an email will be going out. Just respond to it. We'll let you know the time. You can say, hey, yay, want to do that. I do want to settle one question that maybe some of you, your minds immediately leap. Boom, boom, boom. You're all over the place already. You're going, oh, no, they're moving church on me. Uh, no. Sunday will still be here. Uh, it, it won't ever go there. For the main reason, we could only park about seven cars, and the rest of you would have to walk really far, okay? So Sunday will continue to be here. We love this space. We love the relationship we've had with the school. But this isn't a 24-7 space. It's going to be great to have that space that we can use all the time for all kinds of stuff. So uh, hopefully really soon you'll get a chance to go in and peek at that. In the meantime, go over and peek at the garden. I went over there this morning to see how things were doing. A rabbit is chowing my peppers. Here I am all dressed up, running like a maniac through the field after a rabbit. Don't you ever come back here. You'll learn what suffering is. Stop it. Anyway. So that's the good news. And uh, as you leave today, here's the other good news. All summer long, you don't have to move your chair. Isn't that nice? The school lets us stay set up relatively, which is great. Which means some of you that immediately jump to uh, putting things in boxes and, and storing things away and loading trailers have some time. This doesn't mean you can leave church as fast as you can. This means we actually have some time to linger, to stand, to talk, to learn the name of a person. Uh, all that kind of stuff. To act like we like each other. Isn't that cool? That's what church is all about. Acting like we like each other. So, so really do it. Push it. Say hi to someone. Spend a few moments. Linger. It was great to have you here today. Let me pray as we close. God, we are so grateful again to be your family, to have you as our father. We love you. And we thank you today that we get the chance to love each other. Help us help each other as we go through seasons of suffering to be there for each other to help that person to have the joy that you desire for them to have, in part because they know have, they have partners who are sharing the burden with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.